0: This is Dr. John Walton in his teaching on the book of Job. This is session number eight, Seen on Earth. So, now we're ready to get into the actual book of Job. We've talked all about it. We've talked about a lot of aspects of it. And now we're ready to talk about the content of the book itself. In this segment, we're going to be dealing just with the scene on earth, the first five verses of the book. And so we're introduced to Job as someone from the land of Uz. That means that he's a foreigner and he's from some obscure mysterious place, barely on the perimeter of the known world for an ancient Israelite audience. So, he's from this mysterious desert region. A region of the Syrian desert, perhaps associated with Edom. Uh, It's an area known for its wisdom. His friends are also from that region. So for instance, we have a Temanite. So from Teman. So it's that region that's to the south and east of the land of Israel. Genesis 36 connects us with Esau. And again, that places things in that region. The earliest interpretation of the book of Job, which is found in the Septuagint, uh, locates uh, us between Idumea and Arabia. So again, basically that that region. So, as we've mentioned, Job is not an Israelite. He's an outsider in that regard, uh, even though the book is uh, dealing with Israelite issues and addressed to an Israelite audience. And we find that in the description of Job himself, everything is painted in extremes. So Job is blameless. The Hebrew word is tam, and he's upright, yashar. These refer respectively to his character and his actions. And so here's the person who is just faithful in every way. He is a man of integrity, uh, there's no um, blame associated with him or guilt. Uh, He's someone who behaves according to God's expectations and enjoys God's favor. If we looked for words opposite from those that describe Job, we would look for words like someone to be proclaimed guilty or to be considered wicked, that is standing under condemnation. Job is not those things. The words that describe him are the opposites of those. At the same time, these are not words of sinless perfection. Uh, Job is not um, in the divine realm in terms of his behavior, but it's the best that a person can be, best that a human can be. He fears God. The word for God here is Elohim, not Yahweh. Uh, So, he fears Elohim. That means he takes him seriously based on what is known of him. We have other people kind of outside Israel described that way. For instance, the sailors in, in the book of Jonah um, are described as fearing God. And that's based on what little they know of him. Even in the book of Genesis, Abimelech is described that way in contrast to Abraham, who has a personal relationship with Yahweh. So, all of these terms portray Job uh, in in the highest possible standing. And again, we've mentioned the, uh, the, the use of extremes to describe things. Now, his possessions and his status are also in the ideal realm. Um, they, they're not necessarily contrived, but everything's immense. Uh, so these are stereotypes of how many cattle, how many camels, how many sheep and goats, everything is portrayed in ideal terms. achieved success and prosperity by the highest possible standards. And so again, in that way, we have extremes portrayed. Just because they're extremes doesn't mean they're not true or accurate, of course. Um, But we have to notice that the extremes are very important uh, so that they move those easy answers off the table. So here we have then the description of Job. Now, what's what is arguably the most intriguing of these issues is the question of his piety. In verses 4 and 5, a scene is described for us uh, when his sons and daughters would gather for uh, apparently birthday parties, banquets of some sort. And um, Job would have this ritual that he performed afterwards. Uh, It's a setting that addresses that there was just the, the outside possibility that some offense had been committed. If we read the verses, it says, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom." So we find this this practice. It's also in the banquet setting that they eventually meet their demise. In chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, they actually are banqueting when the house collapses on them and they the fire and they, they, uh, they lose their lives. Job is worried that they perhaps cursed God in their hearts. Now, this in their hearts idea, when you use that to apply to an individual, it refers to private thoughts. But this is not about them as individuals. It's about their corporate uh, get togethers, they're banqueting. When a group of people are part of the scene, it can refer to corporate thinking shared confidentially. Uh, and we find places in Deuteronomy like Deuteronomy 8.17, 18.21 and likewise Psalm 78.18, where this idea of in their hearts is a corporate conversation taking place. It also, when it says cursed God in their hearts, it doesn't use the Hebrew word for cursed. It uses the Hebrew word for blessed. And so, this is a euphemistic use of bless. Um, To put the word curse and God next to each other was considered in bad taste. And so, they used blessed God. So, this actually says that perhaps they have blessed God in their hearts. Now, this is just the first of um, a good deal of interplay between blessing and cursing uh, in these early chapters of Job. Um, so, in uh, 1.11, also in 2.5, the challenger suggests that Job will bless, that is curse God to his face in contrast to the fears Job had that his children might bless or curse God in their hearts. Instead, Job truly does bless God. Um, not curse God, although it's the same verb uh, that uh, the challenger had suggested. Job's wife urges him to curse God. Again, the verb is to bless, to curse God blatantly and die in chapter two, verse nine. Job does not respond with blessing God after that second round, but neither does he curse God. Instead, he curses the day of his birth. And we find that in chapter three. Beyond this specific use of terms in establishing a literary motif, the underlying narrative framework should also be considered as we think about how these words are working. In the narrative, remember, God has blessed Job with children and possessions in chapter 1 verse 10. Not only that, but God has orally blessed Job by praising him to the challenger. And sometimes blessing is accomplished by praise. The nature of that oral blessing, God blessing Job in front of the challenger becomes a curse in a sense, as it has made the basis for the challenge that leads to the loss of Job's material prosperity. Eventually, of course, God restores that material blessing uh, as we get toward the end of the book. So, uh, the curse bless antithesis stands as as a significant element, a motif in the book. Now, what exactly would be entailed in cursing God? What would that look like? Cursing God can be thought of in a variety of ways. Using God's name in a frivolous oath would be one way. Using God's name along with illicit words of power. So, a hex or something of that sort using words of power against God in something like an incantation, even speaking in a denigrating, contemptuous or slanderous way about God, basically insulting God, holding God in contempt by stating implicitly or explicitly that God is powerless to act or that God is corrupt in his actions or motives, that God has needs or that God can be manipulated, making God less than God. Job, Job arguably does some of these in his accusations against God, but he's, he's expressing anger, not contempt. And he still maintains the integrity uh, as we'll talk about later. Perhaps it's best to think of cursing God as involving contemptuous renunciation, disavowal, neglect of proper honors. And of course, Job did not do that. Most important in this whole scene is to try to understand Job's ritual behavior. What Job does is not so much indicative of what he thinks about his children, but rather what he thought about God. What does this scene in verses one through five tell us about what Job thought about God? Job is considering the possibility that unguarded statements by his sons and daughters might be made in the context of the banquet and that God would take offense at such unguarded, not very complimentary statements, despite perhaps even the innocent intentions of the speaker. We know that this was considered a real possibility in the ancient world. We have an Assyrian piece called a prayer to every God. And in it, the worshiper is very worried. He apparently is suffering uh, some, some negative experiences. And this prayer is trying to work toward a solution. And he says, if I've inadvertently stepped on a place that's holy to my God or to my goddess or to a God that I don't know or to a goddess that I don't know. If I maybe have pronounced a word that is offensive to my God or to my goddess or to a God that I don't know or a goddess that I don't know. Um, And he goes through this whole checklist of things he might have inadvertently done that might have offended his god or his goddess or the god he doesn't know or the goddess he doesn't know. We can see then that a prayer like this is an expression of the idea that the gods can be pretty petty. They can be demanding in things that human beings would have no way to know about. Job's character and his behavior are above reproach. But in my understanding, these two verses about Job's ritual piety suggest that his view of God may be flawed. It suggests that he may be thinking of God as petty. And it, it's that kind of expression that opens the path for the challenge against him by the challenger. If Job is inclined to think of God as petty, he may well be ready to think that that it's really all about benefits and that it's not about righteousness per se. It's about trying to please an easily offended God. So, I'm inclined to think that verses four and five in chapter one are not actually part of the positive characterizations of Job. It actually shows where the, the weakness in his armor might be that already he's thinking about God as petty. And the fact is in his speeches, that's going to come back and he's going to express those things more straightforwardly. So, in verses one through four, we have a setup for the narrative to continue. We've learned about Job being above reproach. We've also learned that there's a chink in his armor and that can be exploited. And we'll find out more about that when the scene in heaven opens. This is Dr. John Walton in his teaching on the book of Job. This is session number eight, seen on earth.